We're going to go through James, and I'm going to kind of go along Wednesdays and Sundays, just going through chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Um, and so, uh, you know, if you happen to miss Sundays, you can get the, the CD or the, you can watch it online, I guess. You can get the archives or whatever. And if you happen to be here Sundays, for those of you, and you're not here on Wednesdays, however that works out. Tonight I want to do kind of an uh, introduction into James. Um, and uh, verse 1, James, a bondservant. The word, or I should say the name James, if you look him up, we find him three different James in the Bible. Some guys find four. Um, David Hawking being one of them. And I emailed him, but he didn't get back. I think he's uh, out and about right now, but um, wanted to see what the fourth one was. And it could be actually the James once he, well, we'll, we'll talk about it. But uh, Matthew 4, if you're willing to turn, I'm going to run through a bunch of them. I maybe got a, you know, 10 or so um, cross-references. A lot of them are in Matthew and, and then a bunch in John and most of the rest are uh, Acts, James, and, or Acts and uh, Galatians a little bit. Nothing too much. But if you go to Matthew 4, and I want to look at verses 12 through 22. The first two Jameses, or James, um, Matthew four twelve through 22, is, um, Now when Jesus heard that John had been put into prison, he departed to Galilee, and leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt at Capernaum, which is by the sea, and that would be John the Baptist that was in, put in prison, in the regions of Zebulun and Naphtali, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, uh, the Sea of Galilee, and of the Gentiles, or the Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light, and upon those who sat in the region and the shadow of death, light has dawned. And from that time Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You know, in the beginning of his ministry, First word is repent. And Jesus walked by the Sea of Galilee and saw two brothers. Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the, uh, the son of Zebedee, and, his, and John, his brother. So James and John, the son of Zebedee, is our first James. And they were in a boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them, and immediately they left the boat, and their father followed them. If you, uh, James the brother and John, the sons of Zebedee, that's the first James we see in the New Testament, to the best of my knowledge. Matthew 10, if you want to flip two, three pages to the right. Matthew 10, verse 2. He's named among the apostles also. And um, in verse 1, And when he had called his twelve disciples to him, he gave them power over unclean spirits, to cast them out, and to heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease. Now the names of the twelve apostles are these. First is Simon, who is called Peter, Andrew his brother, James the son of Zebedee, and John his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew the tax collector, now James the son of Alphaeus, and Lebius, whose name, surname was Thaddeus, and Simon the Canite, and uh, Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. So we're now introduced to a second James. These are the first two James we see. The, uh, we are very familiar with the Peter, James, and John, the ones that uh, were with Jesus uh, in the Mount of Transfiguration, the ones he took in uh, when he healed. And uh, so this James uh, was James, the brother of John, but now we know there's a second James. Both were apostles. Both were healing. Both were casting out demons, it says. And so we had two guys named James. Um, so uh, James, the brother of Jesus, is the next one. We skip a next chapter over, or next page over to chapter 12. Uh, we're introduced to James, the brother of Jesus, verses 46 through 50. And he had been, uh, 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 you know, responding to the Pharisees and, and had corrected them and they were asking him for a sign, and you know, his mother. And let's look at it in, in uh, verses forty-six. While he was still talking to the multitudes, behold, his mother and brothers stood outside, seeking to speak with him. 
Then one said to him, Look, your mother and brothers are standing outside seeking to speak with you. And he answered and said to them, Who told you? Um, And said to the one who told him, Who is my brother? Or I'm sorry, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? And he stretched out his hand toward his disciples and said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whosoever does the will of my father in heaven, he is my brother and my sister and my mother. And to... uh, you know, he shows up, um, these guys show up outside and, and uh, you know, who is my, my mother and my brother? It's you guys, the guys that keep the commandments of my heavenly father, brothers and sisters. And um, Matthew nineteen twenty nine. you know, it says that, uh, you know, whoever does well, there is comfort for us really in all of this. And because it says that we, well, let's turn there real quick, just skip ahead and then we'll come back to 13. Um, Matthew nineteen twenty nine. why this is such a comfort to us because Jesus says in 28 surely I say to you that in the regeneration when the son of man sits on the throne of his glory you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel speaking to his apostles and everyone who has left houses everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands, for my name's sake, shall receive a hundredfold and inherit eternal life. And, you know, we know that to be true, that we, we get saved, and a lot of us get saved at a point when we've been at the lowest point. We're on our own. We're by ourselves. We're desperate, possibly. And that loneliness or that uh, desperation brings us to the, the end of ourselves, and we begin to call on the Lord. The Lord brings somebody to us, that, that talks to us and, and shares the Lord and his spirit then quickens and we draw close to him. But look at the comfort in that. You know, what does he give us? A hundredfold. And that's us. These are the brothers and sisters and, and all that, that we have. And, and it's so true that those of us, some of us have sacrificed a lot and given up parents. Some of us, our parents disowned us when, when we got saved. Some of us said, what are you into, a cult? You know, we'll have none of that. And so it's a great comfort to us. Back to Matthew 13, um, a little bit more on that same subject, verses 53 through 58. It came to pass when Jesus had finished these parables that he departed from there, and he had come to his own country, and he taught them in their synagogue, so that they were astonished and said, Where did this man get this wisdom and, and these mighty works? Is not the carpenter's son, is not this the carpenter's son, is not his mother called Mary and his brothers, James, Joseph, and Simon, and Judas, and his sisters? Are they not all with us? Where then did this man get all these things? And so they were offended at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own country. And notice this, in his own house. You know, uh, it's something where you got to wonder um, if we were to, to look next at John 7. Um, flip to the last gospel, John chapter 7, um, verses 1 through 9. You've got to wonder what's kind of going through James' mind. Here he is right in his hometown. And he's, a, and he's saying, you know, uh, prophets, you know, I can't do anything here. He, could, he, the mir- he wasn't able to perform the miracles for the lack of faith that was there. They didn't, this is the carpenter's son. We know this guy. What's he all about now? And in... Um, John 7, verses 1 through 9. After these things, Jesus walked in Galilee, for he did not want to walk in Judea, because the Jews sought to kill him. Now the Jews' feast of tabernacles was at hand, and his brothers therefore said to him, Depart from here, and go into Judea, that your disciples may also see your works that you are doing. For no one does anything in secret while, he's, while he himself seeks to be known openly. And if you do these things, show yourself to the world. Come on. For even his brothers did not believe in him. He's talking about James. And then Jesus said to him, My time has not yet come, but your time is always. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me, because I testify of it that its works are evil. You go up to the feast. I am not yet going up to the feast. My time has not yet fully come. And he remained at Galilee. And um, the interesting thing here, I don't know how much of this ran through James' heart, but here James is seeing him. He's, he goes up to Galilee. He goes up to Nazareth. And uh, it plainly says he doesn't believe in him. 
you know, and is actually kind of snarky with them. Well, you know, you make yourself known. Let's get this thing going, you know, if you're the Messiah. And, um, but they didn't believe. Next subject here is James, the bondservant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ, or the artist formerly known as his half-brother. In 1 Corinthians 15, and it's the same James that we're talking about, right? But uh, now we're going to see a little change here. In 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 8, Paul is giving an account of the testimony of where he was coming from to these Corinthians. He was basically establishing for them so that they would you know, understand that uh, you know, his legitimacy as an apostle and that he was uh, a part of all of this. And, and they, you know, the Corinthians is a different Bible study, but they had their struggles and they were trying to compare Apollo to, Paul to Apollos and, and all, and they had their little quarrels among themselves. But in, in verse 15, or I'm sorry, chapter 15, verses 3 through 8, um, for I delivered to you first of all that which I also received, and this is the gospel. You make a note of it in the, in the uh, margin of your, your Bibles and a place to turn to when you want to be able to share the gospel with somebody right from the Word of God. Uh, which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he was seen by Cephas, and then by the twelve, And after that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep. And after this, he was seen by James, and then by all the apostles. And so he's talking specifically about James, not one of the apostles, and uh, not one of the twelve. And then last of all, he was seen by me also as one born out of time. But the idea here is, um, you know, all the apostles, over 500 brethren at once, had, uh, that he went to see. Now, this tells us that James is a part of what's going on already in the church. This is eternally important to us. This is Our eternity comes from this because he's talking about all these guys that are eyewitnesses to the resurrection. I was not there. I didn't see that. I have not heard audibly the Lord's voice or seen him with my physical eyes. But if we go to 1 John and... Uh, Chapter 1, and verses 1 through 4, John was there, and Paul's talking about when he had gone and when the Lord had had, uh, raised from the dead and appeared to these guys, 500 guys that were still alive to the day Paul wrote to the Corinthians, and plus all the apostles and the 12. And notice even James talks about, but um, 1 John 1 through 4, that which was from the beginning... That which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which which we have looked at upon, and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. And the life was manifest, and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you may also have fellowship with us. And truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with his son, Jesus Christ. And notice he writes all these things, that their joy would be full, that they would have that kind of joy that comes from this knowledge. Well, I've never seen the Lord. I've never heard his voice. But I believe John, and I believe these 500 guys. I believe Paul. He met him on the road to Damascus. And I believe this testimony. There's evidence here. If you take this many witnesses to a court of law, you're going to have a, a case. And so there's enough there, but nevertheless, it's not enough, is it? Because... And if you look at uh, um, John, you know, I, I, I haven't heard all this or seen all this, but I also have another witness in me, and which is the Holy Spirit. You have another witness in you, which is the Holy Spirit. Well, how do we know that? And what's that sound like? And what's that look like? And so we're going to go back to the Gospel of John, and uh, we're going to start at chapter 6. And I'm going to make a little list. If you guys dare to bring notebooks, I'll make you use them. And... Uh, it would be a list. We'll go over it a little bit after we read through a bunch of, of uh, verses in John. But John 6, and it would be verses 60 and 65, or through 65. Therefore many of his disciples, when they heard this, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can understand it? And he was speaking about him 
you know, having to uh, go to the cross. And when Jesus knew this uh, in himself, that his disciples complained about this, he said to them, Does this offend you? What then if you should see the Son of Man ascending where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. But there are some of you who do not believe. And for Jesus knew that from the beginning, those who did not believe and who would end up betraying him. And over the next page in chapter 7, verses 37 through 39, um, on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anybody thirsts, let him come to me and drink. And he who believes in me, as the scriptures had said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And what does he mean by that in the next verse? But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive, for the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. A couple pages over to John 14, and then we're going to look at verses 15 through 18. It says, if you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. Notice it's the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you and he will not leave you or I will not leave you orphans and I will come to you. Notice Jesus in the Holy Spirit coming to them. He declares right there it's Jesus who lives inside of us through the Holy Spirit. And um, John 15, next page couple more here, uh, 26 and 27. Again, talking about when the Helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. And you also will bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. And right there is what we're talking about in 1 John. The bearing witness of, of uh, the disciples, the apostles, those that saw him, but then also, prior to that, he says it's the Holy Spirit. And then over in John 16, and this is a, a little bit more of a, a stretch of a good understanding of the Holy Spirit. And we could do a whole Bible study on this alone, but we're just going to make a, a real simple list of what it is the Holy Spirit uh, does in us and through us. And so, But now I go away to him who sent me, and none of you asks me, where are you going? Because I have said these things, to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin, that's in the list, and convict the world of righteousness, and convict the world also of just uh, judgment, of sin because they do not believe, of righteousness because I go to my Father, and you see me no more, of judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still may have things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you in all truth. He will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. These are good insights into the Holy Spirit. A lot of people want to say, the Holy Spirit told me this and that, and it has nothing to do with the Word of God. You know, it's going to be lining up with the Word of God if the Holy Spirit's doing it in your life. He's only going to speak what has been given to him. Um, he will speak and he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me. If it's not glorifying the Lord, it's not the Holy Spirit. And for he will take of what is mine and declare to you, all things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said that he will take of mine and declare to you, all things the Father has are Jesus. All things that Jesus speaks to the Holy Spirit in us is going to be the Lord Himself. He's not going to, the Spirit's not going to do anything else other than what He's given. So, what's this list? If you just make a, a idea of the testimony of these guys, James was there, uh, the apostles, these five hundred guys. I wasn't there. I didn't see it. I can believe that testimony of two thousand years old. You know, these letters have been going around, but I also have in me the Holy Spirit that does these things. Who gives life? who is the living water that uh, flows from our hearts. He's the helper. He abides forever. He's the spirit of truth. You're not going to get lies and mixed messages from him. He's with us and in us. 
He proceeds from the Father. He testifies of Jesus. That's what he does. A lot of other things people might think he wants to do. No, the bottom line is he's testifying of Jesus to us. And that's exactly what we're looking at in 1 John. He guides in all truth. He speaks only what he hears. He tells of things to come. He glorifies Jesus and declares the things of Jesus. A little bit more about the Holy Spirit. If you look at Romans 5, verse uh, 1 through 5. If you want to flip there. This is a key passage for an overview of the book of James. It's something you want to keep in mind as a... As a uh, well, it's not really a balance because I don't think the book of James needs balance. People like to think that it's in juxtaposition to Paul in a few ways and they like to think it can be legalistic, but nothing is farther from the truth. James is a book that is serious. But Romans 5, verse 1, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith, into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope, and remember that hope, of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations. And you're going to find this is a main part of James. Knowing that tribulations produce perseverance, perseverance produces character, and character, hope. And that hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts and by the Holy Spirit who has given us. Now, There is a hope that disappoints. We were talking about the resurrection. If you want to flip to um, back to uh, 1 Corinthians 15, um, there's definitely a hope that would disappoint. There's a lot of people that were actually Christians that had this hope. If you look at verses 12 through 19, because we're talking about the resurrection. We're talking about James being an eyewitness. And we're going to see how, and we saw how, the first thing that uh, James or that happened, Jesus, after resurrection, appeared to James, his brother. And um, at that point, we presume that that's when here he is. He sees his risen brother and uh, knows that he's not just his brother and not his brother at all anymore. He's, he's the, the living God. But in... Um, 1 Corinthians fifteen twelve through 19. Now, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there's no resurrection of the dead? If there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty, and your faith is also empty. And yes, we are found false witnesses of God because we've testified to God that he raised up Jesus, whom he did, you're saying he did not raise up, if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. And you are still in your sins. And then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. And if this, in this life only, we have hope in Christ. We are men most pitiable. You know, Paul had gone on to talk about all the sufferings and all the things and persecutions that he had gone through. And... Uh, you know, to go through all those things in this life and, and forsake the things of this world to become Christians, just that there's no resurrection, that is a hope that disappoints, you know. And uh, so the resurrection is paramount to our faith. And as we'll see later in James, every good work, every obedience, every discipleship has its reward in heaven where we, you know, we lay up our treasures. Jesus said that's where you want to lay up your treasures, not in this life. Not in this world. There's no hope in this life and in this world. Our hope is in the next life, the, the world to come. In this life, we're going to suffer persecutions. So this faith and this hope is going to prove itself by the works that we do in God's love. Faith, hope, and love. And uh, as we love one another, what we're going to learn in James is that works are a part of that. And we'll get into that quite a bit. Now we're introduced to James the Elder at Jerusalem. If you want to go to Acts 12, these are all formerly, again, the artist formerly known as the brother of Jesus. James the Elder at Jerusalem, Acts 12, 1 through 4, and then also we'll skip to verse 17. 
Now about that time, Herod the king stretched out his hand to harass some of the church, and he killed James, the brother of John. Now this is the first James, James and John, sons of Zebedee. And because he saw this please the Jews, he proceeded further to seize Peter also. And it was during the days of unleavened bread. And so when they had arrested him, they put him in prison, delivered him to the four squads of soldiers, soldiers to keep him, intending to bring him before the people after Passover. Now Peter was eventually freed from prison. And we see in verse 17 that once he, you know, it's just a great story. He, with, for lack of time, it's a good read if you want to peruse through that later. But down in verse uh, 16, he continued knocking at the door after he got out of prison, and, and they opened the door and saw him, and they were astonished. But notice this. He motioned to them with his hand to keep silent. He declared to him how the Lord had brought him out of prison, and he said, go tell these things to James and to the brethren. Now this is James, um, the, the elder at Jerusalem. You know, and he, he, was, uh, he was accounting to him. He was, he was bringing these reports. Peter was bringing these reports to James, um, now the elder at Jerusalem. That's Peter's relationship to him. Uh, later on, uh, it was after Peter was on uh, Acts 15, you don't have to go there, but when Cornelius came, before that, Peter was up on the roof and, and the Lord had brought down in a trance, he brought down a sheet and laid out all these animals before Peter. And Peter says, no, I'm not going to eat that. And, and uh, you know, how do you say Lord and no in the same sentence? But, you know, he did. And, but ultimately, it was because the Lord was calling Peter to share with the Gentiles. And lo and behold, the, the very next day or later that day, Cornelius, a Gentile, shows up. And so later Peter had told James in Acts 15 this whole story. And... He wanted James to realize this. James, the Gentiles are getting saved. The Holy Spirit is indwelling these Gentile believers. This is Peter's relationship with James. And so John, I'm sorry, not John, Paul, also had a relationship with James that's going to give us a little bit of insight into the book of James. And if we want to go to Galatians 1, and this is a lot of background, but we're going to be spending a few weeks in James and uh, I think it might lend some, some insight to you guys with regards to the Jews, the Gentiles, how the gospel went out. And um, so Galatians 1, verse uh, 14 through 19, Paul is giving an account to, now to the, uh, the Galatians. Previously we were talking about how he gave his account of what his, his um, qualifications were to the Corinthians, and now he's doing that for the, for the Galatians. They'd been led astray into Judaism. And so he talks about it a little bit. In Galatians 1, 14 through 19, he says, I had advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation. This is Paul talking about himself, being more exceedingly zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb way before this, and called me through his grace to reveal his son in me, that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went to Arabia. He goes out in the desert and eventually wanders back to Damascus. And then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter, remained with him 15 days, a couple of weeks, but I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. James was, I believe, from this, we learn that he was, in fact, the elder at Jerusalem, or at least one of the, the I think it talks about it in a little, the next, uh, when we get to the next passage, but um, I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. In chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, and I also took Titus with me, and I went up by revelation and communicated to them the gospel which I had preached among the Gentiles. So he's checking back with the guys at Jerusalem and telling them what's been going on and also how he's been sharing the, the gospel with the Gentiles. And, but also he says privately to those who are of reputation, lest by any means I might run or had run in vain. And, uh, you know, in other words, the witness might have gotten compromised by something there. And uh, yet not even Titus, who is with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. And he's talking to the Galatians about their legalism that they're getting into. 
And this occurred because of the false brethren secretly brought in who came by stealth to spy out our liberty which we have in Christ, in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage again, and to whom we did not yield submission even for an hour, and for that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. And, but from those who seem to be something, whatever they were, makes no difference to me, God shows um, personal favoritism to no man. We'll see that in James as well. For those who seemed to be something added nothing to me. But on the contrary, when they saw that the gospel for the uncircumcised had been committed to me as the gospel for the circumcised was to Peter, for he who worked effectively in Peter for the apostleship to the circumcised also worked effectively in me toward the Gentiles. Notice verse 9. And when James, Cephas being Peter, and John, who seemed to be pillars, Perceive the grace that have been given to me. They gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship that we should go to the Gentiles and they go to the circumcised. We're going to see in the first verse of James a little more why that's important. So getting uh, into Galatians 3, uh, verse 26 through 29, I wanted to bring this in because a lot of people think, like I said, James is a little legalistic. They think that James is... Uh, contrary to Paul. Uh, we'll study how that goes and uh, we'll be able to bring that together. But notice in Galatians three twenty six through 29, For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many as you were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Book of Hebrews, much of the book of Romans, there's a, there's a lot to study when it comes to understanding uh, the difference between a, a Jew and a Gentile. But when it comes to believing in Christ Jesus, they're one. There's no difference. And some would make a big difference, but uh, there really is no. I, I actually, on my other job, I was in a house working, talking to this guy, and he shows up, and he's got the shirt on with the little tallies hanging off the side. I don't know what they're called. Um, and uh, he didn't have a hammock on or th- anything like that. But I said, you know, if you really need this done, it was something I had to come back for. And if you really need this done, I could, I could uh, come on uh, Saturday. And he says, oh, no, that's the Sabbath. And he, he wasn't Jewish, per se. At least I don't think he said he was. I asked him about that, and he kind of hemmed and hawed. I says, well, are you messianic? Because he was talking about Jesus, you know, being the Lord and all. And he still wanted to have all of the law and keep the Sabbath. And he thought that that was the most, he had a, like a Bible from the 1500s or something that he was looking at. And he just thought that somehow that had more importance, you know, with the, with the age of it. Um, but the idea is that still to this day, there are those that don't understand that when you're in Christ, you're one you know, from whatever background, religiously speaking. But if you're, you know, obviously you have to have the Lord. I'm not talking about um, cults and false teachers. So an overview all f- after all that, you know, and I might not even get into the first couple of verses, the way it's looking. I just wanted you to see a background. I might get a little exhaustive with it, but hopefully you can get the notes and understand this a little bit. Hopefully it helps you understand. James, there's a... Um, just a list of different topics and subjects. Some, when they read the book of, of James, think it reads more like the book of Proverbs, where there's a little snippet about this, and then there's a snippet about that, and they jump, he jumps from one little subject to the next without really necessarily seeming connected. But, uh, you know, there is a flow of thought through the book of James, if you follow it, and we'll do that. There's a reason for him writing the book of James. There's not, if book of Proverbs was a great book, but it was a compilation of just a bunch of Proverbs, you know, Solomon, uh, a couple of the others. Anyway, and uh, so there, but James, there's a specific reason. James has some very serious concerns and a real purpose for writing. If you're going to grab a a verse out of James, you're going to want it to be in context because you can grab verses out of James and you can just say flat out, you know, no, faith is by or uh, you're justified by your works, not, not your faith. You know, you, you didn't say that. This guy told me that, actually. I didn't even tell you that. The guy I ran into, that's one of the things he said, because I was trying to tell him, you know, dude, read the, the book of Galatians. And i got to go back there, so we'll see. Um, he, so the, uh, you know, if you're going to grab a verse, 
keep it in context in James, and it's real important to know the flow of thought. It's real important to know the purpose for his writing. These are key to understanding context in any Bible study. And I just made a list here of some of the subjects, maybe a little advertisement if you're interested in any of these. Some of the subjects found in the book of James are trials. I know you all want to hear that one, um, but you probably do if you do go through trials because there's wisdom. Testing, endurance, faith, temptation, doubt. The Word of God is a topic, uh, subject dealt with in James. Hearers of only the Word are a subject being dealt with in James. Doers of the Word. The poor brother, now that also fits back with you know, Galatians 2 that we just read, verse 10. Also the rich man, notice there's a difference. He calls the poor brother, calls the rich man. Um, showing partiality and favoritism. These, this is a subject that's dealt with in the book of James. The law is dealt with in James. Judgment, judges, the righteous and uh, judge. And also love, justification is dealt with. Works, the tongue, wisdom from above, earthly wisdom, quarrels and conflicts in the body in any given church, Rep, uh, repentance, wealth mismanagement, wealth mismanagement. There's, he doesn't talk about wealth management. He talks about those that are mismanaging their wealth. Patience and long-suffering. Suffering and prayer. These are all the subjects or some of the subjects. And if you read through it on your own, you might find that. As we go through, I hope you see the flow of thought through those subjects. Chapter 1, uh, characteristics of a true believer. Um, James would tell you if you're a true believer, you're going to endure trials. You're going to overcome temptations. You're not going to show partiality in relationships in chapter 2. You're not going to overlook the others or the needs of others. Chapter 3, you're going to realize the dangers of your tongue, of the tongue, and you're going to seek God's wisdom. And you're going to have a wisdom that's proven by how you treat other people. And that's uh, James saying, you know, if you're a true believer, chapter 4, you're not going to be proud. You're going to be humble. You're going to be transparent. Willing to submit to God. In other words, chapter 4 is about a guy who knows his place in the Lord. Knows his place among the brothers. Knows his place in the church. Knows his place in this world. True believer in chapter 5 is somebody who's patient with people. And who trusts God in everything. James is serious. It's a serious book. Um, He's serious about uh, your faith. It's a book about faith. Some would say it's a book about works. Some would say it's a legalistic book, but the truth is it's a book about faith, real faith, a serious faith. Chapter 1, verse 1. Maybe we'll just do that one tonight. James 1. James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greetings. Now notice the first thing is he doesn't say, James, the brother of Jesus. You guys better listen up to me, man. He was my brother. I knew him. He doesn't say that. He says he's his bondservant. What happened after the resurrection? After the resurrection, he met with Jesus, and uh, he saw the Son of the living God. And uh, he's now a bondservant. How does he refer to himself a bondservant? How does he refer to Jesus? His Lord, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Christ of Israel, the King and Son of God. From Psalm 2, if you remember, you know, he's the anointed. Um, knowing he is almighty God and with the Father from all eternity. This is who James now realizes he is the servant to. And um, he, is complete, uh, uh, he has placed himself in complete subjection to Jesus. And he was known for spending a lot of time in prayer. They, there's a, I've heard this. Uh, it's, it's obviously non, not a scriptural reference, but historians said that he had the reputation of being called camel knees because his knees were, he was in prayer so much that they you know, started to flatten out, I guess, or something. But um, that was his, uh, he was known for that according to secular history. And now who is he writing to? We talked about this earlier. You know, Peter, Paul, they're being sent to the Gentiles. Well, James, he's been sent to, and his ministry, he's focusing on the 12 tribes. That fits with Galatians 2, verse 9. We'll see why this matters later on when he begins to talk about the law. Uh, 
and judgment because we're talking about the Jews. We're talking about uh, James being a Jew, an observant Jew. He grew up in the, the house being a Jew and, and kept all of the law. Um, and now being in Jerusalem, he was surrounded by all that. Uh, so he's writing to the 12 tribes. That's his ministry. That's, and when it says scattered, it's interesting. Uh, uh, listening to a guy on our Tuesday nights, Wayne Barbie, talks about seeds, and he talked about having a garden. And he talks about when you scatter seeds, it's not this where you just kind of willy-nilly and see what pops up because you've got to, you know, if it's beans, you've got to put poles where they're going to grow and you just don't want anything. Oh, you plant it on purpose in a row with, with an idea of what you want to accomplish. And so when he's talking about this, that's the kind of scatter that he's talking about. The 12 tribes uh, scattered. Now, the word greetings is interesting. You would think that just means, hey, how's it going? Well, the word there is chero. It means joyous, exceedingly. It means be well. In other words, maybe how you're doing, but, you know, be well. Also means hail, like, hey, you know, how's it going? And it means gladness, but also has the idea of its satisfaction. In other words, greetings, you know, here we are. And uh, it's joyous to be here with you. And, it's, and it's, uh, it's a great satisfaction for me to be able to write this to you guys, he's saying. Now, right in the first verse after that, verse 2, um, he says, My brother considered all joy. That word is very similar. It means chara, different derivative of it. Same thing, joy, gladness, cheerfulness, with a little added extra. It kind of almost means a calm delight for an occasion. Interesting. And um, in verse 2, we can maybe get through a few more. Uh, verses 2 through 4, it says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. Paul talked about that. We read it earlier. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, that would be given to him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. Let, that, let not that man suppose he'll receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So, first thing is, you got to see is this joy and gladness, but in trials. I mean, we, we, first of all, he's saying, hey, how's it going? But, hey, have that same joy in the trials. Now, the word trials, it says, um, first of all, you know, some of us think off the top of our heads, that means, well, we're going through this trial and we've got to grin. We've got to have joy while we're in the middle of this trial and we're forcing that and we're in pain. And it's like, we don't want to look at that face. If you're in pain, we know, you're, you know that you're suffering. What's going on here is a, a deep-down knowledge and a joy of the fact that this is going to have a purpose, and we're going to get to that. Um, so it's not a force to grin in the midst of severe pain, but a deep knowledge. Even while suffering or in sickness or persecution is a trial. Frustrating circumstances can be a trial in whatever family, friends, work, uh, life, elections. Uh, that um, Circumstances that the end of all this the joy about this, the end of all of this, is there's going to be a result, is what he's saying. The word trials, notice, it says, when you fall into. It doesn't say that you're bringing this on yourselves. That's the contrast between temptations later in this verse. Trials is something you fall into. Trials is not something necessarily you bring on yourselves. Uh, you can, certainly, but uh, that might be a little bit more along the lines we're talking about later with temptations. Uh, we're talking about things that are out of our control. And when it says various trials, that word various means multicolored, multidirectional, multifaceted. Uh, it's going to come from out of the ground. It's going to come from out of the sky. It's going to come down the highway. There, it's, you don't know where it's going to come from. And we're talking not only about physical necessarily, but also mental things, ideas, some things within that cause trials, some things with uh, you know, ideas that pop in your head and you go, where did that come from? You know, and you don't know. It's a trial. It's testing. It's it's something where we need to first off start praying for, Lord, please take captive my thoughts. You know, help me to take take these thoughts captive. And uh, so, these are some of the trials. Um, 
various, multicolored or from any direction or any aspect of our lives. Um, it can even be things that, you know, in conversations with others, you know, whether, you know, at work or wherever, lies or conversations and from without. Now, I may fail uh, and give in to complaining in the middle of a trial. I may fail, give in to anger of, after frustration if the trial is some kind of thing that just won't budge, and I fail. And in the worst of situations, you know, without any strength, but that doesn't change my hope. What he's talking about here is having this hope in God to get home in the end. And he is the faithful one to complete that, what he's begun in us, right? By the way, the word patience there means to abide under a burden. Like hupomone, I can never pronounce it correctly, is the Greek. But it basically means you, you abide under a burden that's on there, that's on you rather than try and escape. And again, this is things that we fall into. These are things that happen to us without, uh, you know, just out of the blue sometimes. But that, what that does, rather than trying to escape, what that does is it leads to endurance. And that's what he's talking about. And it, you know, the word endurance, that means, well, this could take a while. You know, we get under a burden and we think it's gone tomorrow. You know, I'll, I'll get a bellyache because I ate too much popcorn or something before bed and then, you know, I, I wake up the next morning and I'm going to have a burden. Well, that usually passes, right? But there are things that now the Lord brings these things into our lives. We fall into them and encounter that after a while, endurance comes out of that. And that's what he's actually saying here. You know, let patience have its perfect work. Now, the word perfect there, we might think is, it's got to be absolutely perfect. Well, what it means is complete. That word is the word called teleos in the Greek. It means mature. It means everything is, is uh, there. It says perfect and complete. That means all the parts are in place. There's nothing left that has to be there. And so if any of uh, uh, let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect, mature. Not perfect and never making a mistake. Not perfect and having every single thing in order in your life. It's a process. And it says, uh, complete, lacking nothing also. Um, James is talking about our faith. That's the, that's the main theme of this book is our faith. And, um, you know, the kind of faith and the kind of endurance that has a result, not that just gets over with and you, you're glad it's over with. It gets over with and you realize that you're a little different now. You've got some endurance. You've gone through something that you endured. You've gone through something and you have your faith and your faith grows a little bit and you remember, yeah, the end of this is all that I can be more patient and endure till he comes. And that's the idea that he's getting at here. Our faith is still growing. I may still lack some things and I know I do. I'm reminded regularly how far short I fall. And I come to know how lacking my faith is. Well, you know, when I see growth, there's joy. And um, James is saying that there will be trials uh, that bring this maturity. Now it says each trial, notice it says, has a perfect result. That, that result that Lord's going through there has a perfect result. Each time in the direction of perfection. Are we perfect? No. Are we going in that direction? Yes. Are we going to go through these trials and, and then find endurance? That's what James is talk, talking about. The word perfect, again, is teleos, mature. The word complete is holy, holokleros, not Latin. You know, it's free. I won't charge you extra for all that mispronunciation. Not lacking, entire, no missing parts. Am I there yet? No. Well, then, should I expect some more trials? But now... I can try to remember that the joy of the knowledge that each trial I have, and as I go through these, it's going to have a result um, for my faith to have endurance. And um, consider, if you will, one last thing, if you want to go to Revelation, verse, uh, chapter 2, verses 8 through 11. The church of Smyrna, talking about trials, and there's one good lesson to learn there's many lessons to learn here, but the one I want to bring up 
And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, These things says the, uh, the first and the last, who was dead and came to life. I know your works, your tribulation, your poverty, but you are rich. This is going to come out in James big time. And I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews but are not, but are of the synagogue of Satan. Do not fear. That's the one to underline. Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. This is a trial coming their way. He's telling them. And what's the first thing he says is do not fear. We don't need to be afraid. The Lord's going to get us through. He's going to accomplish what he wants to accomplish. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. You will have tribulation ten days and be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. He's talking about trials. He's talking about a trial that could be unto death. You know, this is uh, something that is uh, a good lesson for us. And him who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. I think we'll save, um, you know, verses 5 through 8 are, are interesting. I think we'll save that for Sunday. And we'll maybe try and do the, all the rest of James. But this is real wisdom. This is some real wisdom from James. He's, he's giving these guys the help they need to go through the things that they're suffering. He's given these things uh, the, the, the wisdom to know that this is good and the Lord's using this thing. He's working endurance in us. And there's a reason. Well, because we're looking for the kingdom to come. And our life, we've got a lot. Possibly, Lord, come today, I pray. But if he tarries for the sake of others coming to know him, and for whatever reason he so decides to keep us here, this is good for us because we'll be patient. We'll continue to work through the stuff we've got to work through. But this is real wisdom. But there are some, and we're going to read about this on Sunday, that maybe really don't want to hear this kind of talk. Some that he's writing to. Some that were hanging out with this church. Some that he figures are going to hear this because he's writing to them. And again, there are times he talks about the beloved brethren. There's times he talks about just a person that's in the midst of you guys who may or may not necessarily be a beloved brother. He may not be saved. He's going to talk about a faith that some have and say they have that's useless. Can that faith even save you, he says. That's pretty serious stuff. This is a serious book. But it says, you know, there are those that really don't want to hear this kind of wisdom. They don't want to hear all this talk about patience and endurance and trials and suffering. Jesus talked about going to the cross and a whole mess of guys just left him. Well, enough of that. You know, food was good, but we're out of here. You know, this is not a popular message necessarily, but it's a blessing for us to know because we have that hope in eternal life and the resurrection. That's why we need to have our foundation in the testimony of the apostles, the gospel, and the bearing witness of the Holy Spirit as he promised he would if we believe. Let's pray. If you want to stand up, stretch your legs. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for your faithfulness to us and accomplishing all the things that you want to accomplish in us. And you bless us. You give us what we need for food. You keep food uh, roofs over our head and um, clothes. And, you know, we got heaters this time of year and we're just so grateful for all the simple things you provide for us. You, you created the universe, all things for you and by you. And we know that you hold all these things together. Even our bodies, our members. And um, we just ask that you would continue to provide for us. We're so thankful. We pray that you'd continue to give us a heart that wants to know you and continue to work through us to do what you want to do through us. So go with us and uh, bless us tonight. And be with those that are not able to be here and those, again, that are sick and those that are suffering right now. Lord, we lift them up to you. Pray you put grace in that situation for them and that you'd fill them with the knowledge of your presence with them. In Jesus' name, amen.